0: Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And today... Having a great opportunity to talk with Lainey Rowell about the topic of gratitude, something that is near and dear to my heart, and a message that I think uh, is well received at any time, but especially in the summer when we have a chance to pause, to reflect on the school year that was and look ahead to the school year that will be here coming up with 22, 23. So just really grateful uh, that Lainey's joining us today. Lainey is an educator, author, podcaster, and consultant. And we're going to just look forward to uh, having a great conversation and also discussing her new book book Evolving with Gratitude. So Lainey thank you for joining us on the pod.
1: Oh thank you for having me Andrew. I am so I was very delighted to get this invitation. I'm very happy to be here chatting with you.
0: Yeah and I know we've had an opportunity to be on a couple live shows here and there and and so it's really great to connect and to get a chance to hear a little bit more about this book uh, and your work with gratitude. And so uh, for those that don't know you though Lainey can you give us a little bit of your backstory in education?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, I was actually a psychology major in college. Part of my psychology work was to do field hours, something like that. And I ended up doing it in a school and I fell in love with working with kids. So, I decided to become too much to the shock, I might add, of my family because they did not see that in the cards for me. I was not a very good student, Um, but uh, ended up becoming a teacher and I taught. Pretty much all the grades, all the ages and stages went from teaching kindergarten to sixth grade, then back down to first grade, looped a group to second grade, opening up a new school, had so many wonderful years in the classroom, and then ended up moving into a district-level leadership position. And then at one point, Apple reached out and asked if I would be a part of their consulting team. And it was at a time where my district was going through some shifts, and I wasn't quite sure where I would go in those shifts. And so I was like, you know what, I think this is a good opportunity to kind of set off on my own and see what happens. My district was so gracious. They gave me a leave for one year to go try it out and see if consulting was for me. And at the end of that year, it was really heartbreaking. I had to say I wouldn't be coming back because it actually worked out really well. So it was very, very bittersweet because I was very excited to to go on to this next chapter, but very sad to leave my school district. But and now I have the great honor of Being an international consultant, I get to travel all over, a lot more domestic in the last couple of years, but that's okay. I'm happy to be home with my family too. And then I'm actually a consultant for Orange County Department of Ed. They're kind of my, my biggest client. They're the ones I spend the most time with here in Southern California. So that's kind of my story.
0: Yeah, well, a myriad of uh, really great experiences there. And I was curious, which age or grade would you say was your favorite after having had the opportunity to fluctuate across those different ones?
1: Okay, so there's like, first of all, I will say there's kind of a similarity between kindergarten and sixth graders, because I feel like there's just something with sixth graders where it feels like those hormones are kicking in and it's all about learning how to be a human again. And so I felt like those grades are actually kind of similar. Um but there were, you know, there were so many wonderful things like the just awe and wonder that you see in those real little's just on a regular basis, like everything's amazing. That's pretty cool. And then I mean, I'm not the funniest person in the world, but I can crack a joke every now and then and you know, they tend to land a little more with the bigger kids. Like they actually can get my humor or at least they're kind enough that they'll give me a complimentary laugh.
0: I love that. I have a daughter who's going to be a sixth grader and I totally know what you're talking about. Finally, we're on the same page when it comes to jokes a little bit. So that's really I can see that being a a really good time. And I can tell from uh, your answer there and from the smile on your face, which we can't always see with a podcast, uh, that you obviously really enjoyed that time in the classroom. And so no surprise uh, that you've gone on to become not only an education advocate, but uh, particularly on the topic of gratitude. And so as we maybe give a little bit of context for our conversation about the book that you just released. Could you tell us a little bit about your story with regards to gratitude and where this topic kind of bubbled up to the forefront of your work?
1: Yes. So, you know, I would say I'm very blessed that I have parents who I believe made gratitude just kind of a part of our family. So I want to first thank them for that, but I would say that it was something that was a little more just in the background and not something I was super conscious of until March of 2020. And it was a really hard time for me and full awareness. There were huge tragic things happening in the world, but selfishly and personally, it was March 13th of 2020 was the date that my first book launched. And it had been five years in the making. And speaking of not being able to see faces, your eyes just got really big when I said March 13th of 2020, because that's usually a day that we all remember as the day that our part of the world shut down at least. And so it was not a great launch date for a book. And that book had been many, many years in the making. I wrote it with Christy Andre and Lauren Steinman. So proud of that book. It was and it had been, everything had been so great leading up to it, like Learning Forward picked it up and they were going to do it as a joint publication with Corwin. They made it their book club pick. And I was like, oh my gosh, this book's going to be amazing. And then that's the launch date. And so I was just personally really devastated that something I had poured my heart and soul into for many years had just really had a rough, rough start. And again, many more important big things happening in the world. Um, but just, I still gave myself permission to grieve that because that was really, really sad. And I was just kind of wallowing in it for a while, to be honest. And then I came across, I'll never forget, it was March 16th of 2020. And Laura Kelly Finucci put a poem on Instagram called When This Is Over. And It's just this really beautiful poem. There's all these lines in it. Like, I I won't do it justice, but a handshake with a stranger, full shelves at the store, conversations with neighbors, like all these things that we had prior to March 2020 and just kind of took for granted. And so I really saw that poem as a call to action for let's be more appreciative and more grateful for the things in our life. And even when things were really, really hard in March 2020, my kids were healthy and home with me. My husband got to work from home and there were all these things that I could actually turn around and pay really close attention to and be grateful for. So that was kind of a big part of it. And it helped me and my family so much. I started giving people gratitude jars. <laughs> and I'm like, y'all, I just figured this thing out. This is like amazing. And then of course I'm looking around, and there's all these other people who had figured this out way before I did. Uh, Oprah, there's like a million people who, who understood the power of gratitude way before I did at a much more conscious, intentional level. And then George Carros asked me to write a chapter for because of a teacher about a year later. And I just started to become so much more aware of how important gratitude was. I then wrote an article for Edutopia on gratitude and it got a ton of positive response. So I was like, you know what? I have more to say. I'm going to do a book. And that's that's how it came to be.
0: Wow. And having read the book, you delve into the idea that gratitude can be defined uh, a myriad of ways uh, and has maybe different parts to the definition. And so uh, maybe it would be great for those listening in to be able to frame uh, what exactly is what we're talking about by delving into something like that, the definition that uh, your book focuses on.
1: Yeah. So the the definition in this is going to be using this person's definition in my own words, but Dr. Robert Evans is the world's leading expert on the science of gratitude. And he defines gratitude is appreciating the good, but also acknowledging the outside source of that good, right? So it's like, yes, this happened to me, but what was the thing that brought this to me? And a lot of times it's a person that brought it to us. And so that was kind of the the definition that I leaned into, but you're right. It's so different for everyone. And even looking at Dr. Emmons' definition me putting it in my own words, if you, Andrew, were to read it and put it in your own words, you'd maybe say it a different way. And there's, it's such a personal thing, which is why you know, one of the smartest things I did with that book was I asked 20 educators, there's 18 stories from 20 different educators, who are sharing what gratitude means to them and how they experience and express gratitude. Because it is this very universal thing, but it's also this very personal thing in how it impacts us and how we share it with the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, gosh, maybe it was 2018. I did one of those one word resolutions to start the year. uh, And I did choose gratitude and I made up the version of that that I wanted. Because, and and you get into this in the book a little bit as well that, that there's different ways in which that kind of plays out in your life. And what I wanted to focus on for that year was yes, of course, to be thankful after the fact. But my focus for that year, though, I wanted to be more presently mindful of being appreciative in a moment, right? Like grateful for the now kind of thing. And uh, and so there's nuance to it, right? There is, as you're saying there, uh, it can mean different things to different people and, and great vision for bringing in different voices to illustrate that.
1: Well, thank you. And it's funny that you, I, I love how you focus on the, pre, like being present and really observing it in the now. It's yes, we want to reflect, but it's also in the now. And one of the best things about when you put a book out into the world is to see what resonates with people. And there's a part of the book where I talk about savoring. And that has been one of the things that people have really gravitated towards this concept of creating a savoring ritual. I talk explicitly in the book about things like a savoring walk. And just this idea of being, it's a mindfulness practice, as well as a gratitude practice, being super present in the moment, I'm going to pay attention to everything. And I think that's just a really lovely way to live is because we have so many, so many things vying for our attention, so many things to distract us. And if we are not intentional, we will lead a very distracted life.
0: Yeah. And for someone who, as you said, you were raised to to be grateful, but you also know in the book too, that there's a progression. There's a bit of a like spectrum, I guess, over time that you can, I mean, the title would suggest it, right? Evolving (laughs) with gratitude. So uh, yeah. Could you speak to that a little bit, right? Like in terms of if someone feels like they might find themselves typically not experiencing that the degree of gratitude that they would like, and it's not been a habitual practice for them up to this point in time, how do you get started?
1: Yeah. So in the book I talk about, you know, there's gratitude as like a fleeting emotion. There's gratitude as part of the social contract, this reciprocity, like I, you know, stranger opens the door, I'm going to say, thank you. And that's just, you know, part of being nice humans, but that doesn't really tap into the power of gratitude. And so when we do these things intentionally with consistency, then we shift from just feeling grateful to, I am a grateful person. And so what we can do is, and there's practices in the book and so many wonderful practices that the the contributors share, but the protocol that I would suggest people look to is notice, think, feel, do. So first of all, again, like you were saying earlier, Andrew, that notice, like be present, pay attention to what's happening. And then really think about what it is, why it is so good. You know, why did it happen for you? <laughs> Who was the source of it? You can, what, what were you going to say, Andrew? Oh,
0: yeah. Because uh, that gets back to your previous definition, right? Uh, that it comes from an external source. And so part of the think would be where, uh, to what do I owe my gratitude?
1: Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm going.
0: Sorry, I got to. No, sorry.
1: no, no. So you said the notice, the think, and then the feel. And this is a really interesting thing, and I'm still just now starting to appreciate this, that when we like sit in the feelings, when we actually savor the feelings, we get to prolong the positive. So really think about how this is making you feel, whatever gift has been given to you from whoever it was given from you know, how is this really making you feel and try to, and I'm a huge fan of Dr. Mark Brackett and the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and their work and the mood meter. And that's something that my family uses, you know, we're trying to build up our emotional vocabulary. And so trying to really think about how do I feel and try and label those emotions. And then of course, one of my favorite, I love them all. I'm not going to pick a favorite. That sounds ridiculous, but the last one is do. And so what can I do to, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky. Let me say this first. Um, I struggle with indebtedness and that is that when someone does something nice for me, my initial reaction <laughs> is to either deflect or possibly, and I'm not proud of this, outdo them in whatever they have done. So they give you a nice compliment. I want to give them an even better compliment, which is not great because that's essentially kind of stealing the joy of what they're doing, right? They're giving this wonderful gift to me and I'm kind of stealing that joy. So I don't want to do that. So in the book, I also talk about like how I struggle with indebtedness, but the do is like, what can you do to show gratitude to other people? How can you put gratitude out into the world? It's not a trying to even the score or anything like that, but maybe you can like go do something nice for someone else. Um, maybe you can thank people who were a part of the project that maybe you're being thanked for or something like that.
0: Yeah. I loved that. Those suggestions were explicitly stated in the book as well that, yeah. Cause I, I would, I empathize with that Lainey. I feel like sometimes when people say something nice or do something nice, I, instantly feel like I would like to reciprocate that yeah, in yeah. some way, shape or form. But uh, that thought of paying it forward uh, as you write uh, in the book is something that I think uh, is a great way to channel that energy and that want to continue to um, bring further good into the world and, and get consciousness to it, but to do that just in a different direction and, and maybe even letting that person know that their kind act that you're grateful for has spurred that on.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to a word that has just been really resonating with people that savoring, you know, so when, when someone does something nice for me, I'm trying to savor the intention, the cost and the value and, you know, the intention, what were they trying to do for me? The cost, like, did that actually put them out in some way? And then the value, like what it means to me. And so I'm trying to kind of hone in on those things so that, I can really savor it and hopefully delay some of my initial reactions, which <laughs> might not be the most helpful to the person who's just done the nice thing for me. So those are kind of my delayed, one of my delay tactics, try and savor it.
0: Okay. So to further kind of like dissect this down too then, so we get to, to that feel portion of things. I'm sure in the midst of all your research, you've come across the benefits of this as you said, a value for the individual, right? And so some people might be of the disposition, well, maybe I don't want to be grateful. Like maybe that isn't, uh, how how is that beneficial to me? Uh, So I'll pose that question. Yeah, what are the benefits?
1: Okay, so the six that I like, And the Greater Good Science Center is a wealth of information. They were uh, definitely a launching point for me to find the experts in the field. And they have a really great website with a lot of practices, not just about gratitude, covering a bunch of well-being stuff. But they definitely pointed me in the direction of the research. And so the research indicates that Practicing gratitude, and I appreciate your point of like some people are gonna be like, uh, "No thanks, that sounds a real, real new age and touchy feely." Uh, yep. I'm gonna pass, but but here's why you should, anyways, <laughs> is um, it helps us cope with stress, helps us in regulating our emotions, makes us happier. One of the most shocking things I found. Uh, Dr. Emmons, who again, leading expert in the science of gratitude, probably been studying the science of gratitude longer than anyone, 25 years. He did research and found that, you know, we have what's called the hedonic treadmill. It's a hedonic adaptation is another way to say it. It's like, we all have a set point of happiness. So Laney is going to be this happy, like almost every day, but maybe I go to the beach and I get like a bump and I'm like, yay, great day. Happy to be at the beach. And then I like leave the beach and I'm like back to where I was before that's actually a helpful thing to have that because when something really sad happens, that's actually what also helps us get back up. So it is, it is a good thing, but what we would love is if that set point could be even higher, right? Like if our baseline was actually higher. And so Dr. Emmons research shows that practicing gratitude, having a grateful disposition can actually raise your set point of happiness up to 25%. It's a pretty big deal, right? So, all right. So cope with stress, regulating emotions, making us happier, Improving our health. And I don't just mean mental health, actual physical health. There has been a lot of studies showing how this can improve physiologically a lot of things. I think it has to do with just there's such a strong mind body connection that when you are doing these things, you just overall your health is improving not just your mental health, your physical health. And so I I am not going to be good at articulating the scientific reason for why that is happening, but they did do these gratitude studies with people who had suffered a tragedy um, that had suffered other health conditions that were like debilitating, chronic pain, things that just, you know, people were suffering. And it was just kind of amazing that taking the pause and being like, well, I'm still alive. I still get to Mm -hmm. see my grandkids. I still get to do this. I still get to do that. It's like, it's just kind of amazing that you don't really appreciate what you have until you realize what your life would be like without it. So yeah, so the six, just to, just to summarize the six, helping us cope with stress, regulating our emotions, making us happier, improving our health, both mental and physical, um, nurturing relationships. And then the last, but definitely not least, best for us educators, is the activating learning, energizing learning, and really actually making us more open to learning. And so that was kind of a really interesting thing.
0: And maybe that is, again, we don't have to speculate all these things because the researchers are the ones doing the heavy lifting for that. But I would wonder if that is in part, like you said, because of your willingness to understand there are things outside of yourself that could be beneficial in how you perceive that and, and integrate that into in gratitude in this sense, but your daily rhythms, right?
1: Yeah. So Dr. Carrie Howells spent six years studying gratitude and learning, and I put her work in the book it was just really interesting that she came up with these three things that she kind of observed. And if you don't mind, I'll share them because I think it it ties. I also talk about universal design for learning in the book because that is one of the, you know, when we're talking about the affective network of the brain, when we're talking about that engagement piece for universal design for learning, right? That's, about why is this important to us? It's about our motivation and kind of our drive. And so we have to tie it to like, well, why is this something you should actually be grateful to learn, right? So I thought that was kind of interesting. So, and feel free to cut this if you want to, but uh, Dr. Carrie Howells, she has this TED Talk and she says, the first thing that we discovered as she was doing her research is that students by nature actually want to be awake. Like they want to be like engaged and learning, but they don't actually always know how, which I think is really interesting, right? Like maybe we assume that kids know how to be engaged and we actually have to do a little bit more. And that's where I think the universal design for learning comes in. The second thing she learned is that we as teachers, we want our kids to be awake, but we don't necessarily know how to do that. And again, that's where I think universal design for learning comes in. I think building a community of inquiry is also important. I talk about that in the book. And then the third finding from Dr. Howells was she believes that in education, we've settled for far lower levels of awakeness in our students than we should. Like we've just kind of at some point, and this is a generalization and I don't mean to be pointing any fingers. This just sometimes kids are not engaged and sometimes we have to really push for that. And so I don't know that we'll ever be able to get kids to be grateful for every single topic we're asking them to learn about, but I do believe we can get kids to be grateful to learn and to just be grateful for that process of improving their knowledge and skills that I think we can do.
0: I absolutely love that. And that's certainly at the heart of on a personal level, things that I, I believe in in education. And so I'm grateful to hear you advocate for that. Uh, what would you say are a few practices? Let's say someone's listened to this podcast who's a classroom practitioner and is like, this sounds great. Would love to help my students be a little bit more grateful and to tap into that for our class culture. So what might they be able to do?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I know we're all very, very busy and I know that a lot of times teachers are being asked to add one more thing to their plate and that's really overwhelming. It, like mentally exhausting, in fact. So what I would say, the the thing that I have done for just social emotional learning in general, is I use Castle's three signature practices. And so if you're not familiar with them, it's a welcoming inclusion activity, engaging strategies, and optimistic closure. So I would encourage, and I'll give you some examples, to bring the three signature practices into your teaching. And You know, if you're an elementary teacher, at the beginning of the day, you do your welcoming inclusion activity. There's engaging strategies throughout the day, and then you do an optimistic closure. Maybe it's at the end of lessons, or maybe it's at the end of the day. If you're teaching secondary, these are very small things. So I know that's sometimes tough when you're like, I've got 50 minutes. Well, it's like, no, this can be a very, very quick thing, right? So one activity that I like to do if I have a few minutes to get people up and moving is it's called give two, take two. And it's just, you give each kid or adult, because I've done this with grownups too, everyone gets two post-it notes and they're supposed to write something that they're grateful they learned recently, twice. So they write it on one post-it note and then they write the exact same thing on the other post-it note. And then they get up and they go to find someone else in the room and they exchange them. Does not have to be something in our class that we learned together. I would not give that constraint. You could, I just, I would probably just open it up a little wider, And so they're going to go and they're going to exchange their thing with another kid. And so I'm grateful I learned this. And then they exchange after that exchange is done, they'll go and they'll do another exchange. So basically, they're going to come back with two things that they learned from other people. But the practice is really about being grateful that they learned something, right? (laughs) And that they got to share it. And then they got to learn two new things from the person that they just talked to. So it's really just trying to get in that space of like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing that we get to learn and get better at things, right? And so that's kind of a fun welcoming and inclusion activity that I like to do.
0: I absolutely love that and love it thinking about maybe starting a staff meeting that way, a professional learning opportunity that way. And simple, you know, it's not going to be a major time constraint to, to yeah. facilitate that either. You know, you can get, right. I'm sure, in five minutes, like for the most part, to have uh, had the opportunity to facilitate that. So. That's terrific. I was going to double back to this later because I heard you allude to it earlier. And it it certainly is a theme I felt like through the early portions of the book. I feel like there's an old additive that says something to the effect of you have to know the hard times to know the good times or like to have experienced pain to truly know joy. And I've always questioned that a little bit, not necessarily uh, to press into what you wrote about, but I, I enjoyed revisiting that Axiom, I guess, <laughs> but as we were reading and and I think there is a lot to it. I like the way that it's presented in the book, and so, can you speak to what you found with that too, in terms of uh, is it possible that the greater the hardships we're able to endure, the greater the depths of our gratitude thereafter? Is there a correlation there?
1: I think there could be. i think I think for me personally, and one of the things I was, and hopefully I did this well, but I was very intentional in trying to say look, I'm not saying have a grateful disposition and don't ever be sad. Don't ever experience anger or disappointment. All of our emotions serve a purpose. And it is important and a huge part of the full experience of being a human to have those different emotions. Like how boring would life be? Again, going back to like the mood meter, which, you know, has those four quadrants you know, on one axis is the the energy level and on the other is the pleasant versus unpleasant. But like how boring would it be if you were just like low energy and content like your whole life? That doesn't sound very exciting, right? And I do think you don't appreciate the really, really good without having had some really, really tough. And I don't want that to be where I live. I don't want to live in low energy, bad feelings, or, or even high energy, like anger. I don't want to live there. But it is part of the full human experience. And I do talk in the book about like, I give a couple examples explicitly. Another shout out to Dr. Mark Brackett. And he talks about anxiety might not be an emotion you want to feel like when you've got that, you know, like, uh, um, but it also helps narrow our attention and improve our focus. So if you're doing like, your taxes, it's okay to be anxious. You, you want to get it right. And so if um, and then another example I share in the book is Brene Brown talks about regret being a fair but tough teacher. And I think we've all felt the pain of regret. It's not pleasant, but if we don't have that pain of regret, we we don't learn and, and we don't appreciate when we get it right. <laughs> right. So I do think there is some of that kind of you need both and I definitely think we want that full experience.
0: Well, yeah, that was uh that was just something that really gave me uh, an opportunity to, to stop and reflect and ponder and uh, I don't know if it's, whether it's personal experiences or I also just got done following my Boston Celtics for the past uh, few months who just lost the NBA title. And this whole idea too, of, of sometimes, you know, collectively you have to uh, kind of take your lumps uh, in order to get over those barriers to your ultimate goals and, uh, and to maybe be, well, and it's funny cause I, I did frame it for the Golden State Warriors too, from your home state, right. Yep. Uh, that they had two really tough years uh, where they didn't make the playoffs and they were a pretty awful team. They had a lot of injuries and they talked recently about how those players just cherished this title more than any other because of the hardships that they had gone through. And they were grateful uh, to have arrived at that place. So, um, Oh my goodness.
1: I love the sports connection. That's so true. Like how boring would it be if your hometown won every championship every year? It was like a foregone conclusion. You'd be like, this is like no fun to watch. <laughs> like it would just be, I mean, it might be mildly entertaining, but there would be like no like high interest in it. It would just be like, eh, that meh.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. And what motivation would the individuals have to push themselves to, to be better? You know, that that's also been part of the narratives uh, since the finals have ended. And so uh, I grew up in Southern Illinois during the time of the Bulls. And so I am a big NBA basketball fan. And so it was fun to kind of uh, read this along the same time that I'm hearing those narratives in the podcast I listen to. But I digress. Lady, uh, help us out then, I guess, for those that have listened into to this conversation today, and they would love to pick up the book and to learn a little bit more from you, potentially. Should read that Edutopia blog, where can they find and follow you on a consistent basis?
1: Yeah, so I am Lainey Rall across the web on Insta, Twitter, LinkedIn. Although honestly, I'm not that active on LinkedIn. So you'll find me mostly on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I do have Facebook. That's where my family is. No, I'm just kidding. I have friends there too, but it is it is definitely, I, I try not to bombard my family with too much work stuff. So I definitely post more about my passion professionally on Twitter and Instagram. So Lainey Raul, which is a spelling test, I know, but L-A-I-N-I-E and then Raul like Powell. And then, I mean, that's everything like Lainey Raoul at Gmail, com, And I would love to connect. And also I just want to give a huge shout out to George Kuros, Paige Kuros, the whole Impress team, DBC. This is not meant to be an Academy Award speech. Not like I think I'm all that, but I just really... It's uh, such an honor and so astounding, all the people that go into getting a book out. And especially this book where I had 20 contributors, you know, give us these 18 stories where they share their heart and their wisdom. And I'm just so grateful. So I hope that you will also connect with them. If you go to my Twitter account, I have a list with the Evolving with Gratitude contributors. And I highly encourage that you follow all of them because they're amazing. And I'm super grateful to them.
0: Great list of folks that you named there, absolutely, for sure. And uh, maybe to bring the pod to a close, then if you had to leave folks with just a parting thought, some message, potentially something that I've not asked that, uh, yeah, whatever you'd like to do to kind of bring things to a close.
1: Okay. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having me. I really so honored when you reached out and just very, very appreciative of the time to be here and share something I'm very passionate about. And I know you are too, Andrew. So. Thanks for being my, uh, one of my gratitude mentors. I see it in all you do. Um, But I think what I would part with is that gratitude is a very big and important thing, but it actually can happen through very small, simple things. So it's not about, and I referenced James Clear in the book. I'm a huge, I'm kind of a habits nerd, So James Clear, Katie Milkman, like all these people who have like figured out the science of like how to be more efficient. I'm just obsessed with them. I I love them. Like make my life better, please. And I love how James Clear talks about consistency over intensity. And I think that's really important in all things and especially in gratitude. So this is not a turn your life upside down. This is something small and I'm, very intentional in the book that I don't just talk about gratitude journals I don't think that works for everyone it works for a large amount of people there's a lot of evidence for that but it's not the right practice for everyone and sometimes you want to mix it up so I think just pick a small practice try it out for at least a couple weeks and I think you'll be really really happy you did if that practice doesn't work for you try something else don't give up on it
0: Well, I'm going to make sure that I habit stack or layer some of those into my uh, routines as a result of our conversation today and haven't had the opportunity to read through your book. And so, uh, Lainey, thank you for joining us for the pod, for all your advocacy on this topic that's evolving with gratitude. Make sure that you pick that up, I'm sure, on Amazon or wherever you go to track books down. Uh, And yeah, just really grateful for your time. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening.